Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The beacon moved into the air. So it slowly moved around 8 to 10 inches into the air. It moved across approximately 6 inches and then very, very slowly moved down. So it was, uh, we were looking at each other when that was happening because it was like we, were, we weren't saying anything. We, it was just uh, absolutely incredible. You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I'm a journalist and author who's been sharing real-life stories of ghostly experiences since I published my first book, Spirit Sisters, back in 2009. On this show, you'll hear all about hauntings, apparitions, visitations from late loved ones, and many other life-altering spiritual experiences. What can an encounter with the dead teach us about living? You'll find out on The Ghost Files. My guest today is Rhonda Robertson. Born and raised in Melbourne, Rhonda grew up in a funeral parlour in Wangaratta. Rhonda feels this experience taught her that the time spent in this physical existence is precious, and she was familiar with the idea of loss and grief from a young age. In her teenage years, Rhonda, her dad and her sister all witnessed something mystical and miraculous, and after a time working in the music industry, during which she performed as a support act for the likes of Paul Kelly and Casey Chambers, her lifetime of spiritual experiences is now the subject of her memoir, Mystical. Here's Rhonda to tell us all about her life, her adventures as a psychic medium, and her new book. Hello, Rhonda, and welcome to The Ghost Files. Hi, Karina. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. Thank Congratulations you. Congratulations on the publication of your book, yes. Mystical. Yes, yes. Thank you. It's um you know, what a journey it's been, you know, life has been such a journey for me. And I I felt that I really wanted to hand this story down to my grandchildren, my daughter and my grandchildren. I thought it was really important for them to to know what potential we have as human beings, you know, what love can do. And I'd felt that I was a custodian to the story for a long time. And I'd had the opportunity to to finally write something when I had a little bit more space. And so I, I feel like I'm an elder <laughs> in the tribe, gifting the tribe with a little bit of this knowledge, you know, my journey. I thought um, people might find some worth in it, you know. So I hope that it, that it transpires like that. It is such an intriguing backstory. You're one of six sisters and you're all psychic mediums. Well, yeah, I'm one of six sisters. One's passed and um, the one that passed is very, very psychic, very intuitive. And they've all got a slice of it, yeah. We've all had, I think my younger sister's not so much, um, she's still discovering 
yeah, the spiritual and uh, is a bit more of an atheist really. So another sister who has, we've had the dra- same dream one night that a, a, a girl was raped on the night that we both dreamt it on around uh, near where she lived. So, and she's given us evidence of her psychic abilities. Yeah, so the, the family, mum was quite psychic, was good at kind of predicting things or just knowing things that, you know, you couldn't have known. And she had a near-death experience when I was born. She saw the light and she said she went, she felt it was a garden and she heard voices saying, do you want to stay? And she said, no, I've had a baby, I'd like to go back. So, and she saw her father the week after he passed standing next to her bed and she said she went to touch him and he disappeared. So, but even so, mum was quite practical. So she didn't really embellish it. She didn't oh, embellish it's probably the wrong word, but she didn't really, she still sort of thought, well, you know, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. She didn't investigate it. Dad was more inclined to be more curious about it. And he had an experience when he was, he did a funeral for a guy that had been in jail and he was told, look, just bury him, you know, just do it, whatever. And uh, he gave the guy a decent service, as I understand, and he said that later on he could feel someone's thanking him. So I remember being quite young at the time and I'd gone into the workshop where he used to put the coffins together and he was talking about, he said, you know, I felt someone thanking me. And I thought to myself, oh, that just sounds a bit strange. How could they do that, you know? So so the, the kind of background was there. I think they were they were open to it. That helped. Yes, and in my research over the years, I've certainly seen uh, a common thread in that big families, you'll often find this gift multiplied and also passed down, as you say, from your, your mum and perhaps your dad as well, having some inclination in that area. But you've touched there, Rhonda, on a couple of the stories that you go into in the book, Mystical. But I also wanted mm-hmm. to begin, and we'll get to those, I wanted to begin by you sharing with us because I found it quite extraordinary that you can remember having out-of-body experiences when you were just a little toddler in the crib. Yeah, I can remember being, I was probably around two or so, and I can remember having like a plastic plastic pants on and the, just a consciousness, a feeling of consciousness and that I knew I was crying and I, I kind of felt outside of my body. So I, I could... It was a, it was like a consciousness, and then it's then Mum had picked me up out of the cot, and I don't remember anything else. So I remember being awake, you know, but I wonder that that mm. isn't with a lot of children too. But that's a very very early memory. Yeah, I don't, I, I would have, yeah, you know, it, I was still in a cot. I was still mm. in a cot because a friend who was a, a primary school teacher, I said that story. So well, kids don't, they can't remember until they're about two. So I must have been probably about two-ish, you know, two or so. But I can remember um, remembering. And it just struck and me as interesting was, because of that. I mean, I don't, I don't have memories of that age and I don't okay. think many people do. I think it might be more common for people to begin remembering from about four or five. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not But it's, it's yeah. interesting, yeah, that you remember actually being consciousness and being aware of your little self in the crib crying. I thought that was an early, maybe an early yeah. sign of gifts that were to come. Indeed, more unusual experiences awaited you in childhood and from the age of five, you were raised in a funeral parlour in Wangaratta in Victoria. Yeah. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, so 
I was five. I'd finished primary school in the city and we had we moved to the countryside of Wangaratta. So that was the early years, you know, and I we had the chapel out the front and we had our living quarters and then we had Dad had the workshop at the back in the backyard and that was, you know, we had the room where the deceased were. So we were kept away from you know, mum and dad were protective of us in that way. You know, they didn't want to expose us to, you know, what a dead body would be like. But I remember as a child um, sneaking into the chapel and music was a, a big focus of my life. You know, I just loved music and I always thought, you know, I'll sing. We used to sneak in the chapel and, you know, do little songs and dress up the teddy bears and, and we weren't supposed to, you know, we got told off. I remember... One day mum had said, God, can you take a coffee to dad? So I went out to the uh, work shed to take the coffee and I'd opened the door and I'd seen a body in the coffin and I it was, you know, I looked at it and I thought, wow, what on earth is that? And then realised, you know, it's not living. So it was that early exposure to our time here in the human, in, in our physical body is finite, you know, it's limited. I didn't think that then, you know, it was something that I resonated with me later on. I think growing up in the funeral parlour, we used to hear people crying and, and we were told to be quiet when there was a service on and we'd hear music, you know, emanating just softly in the background. So that sense of loss and that, that sense of, you know, that, that life is, is the miracle here and right now, you know, we're, we're the miracle. It was just that resounding wave and tone as a child that it was that sensitivity for the other, I think, if you like, is the best way to describe it. Mm. It wasn't, I imagine some people as a medium and they would think, oh, she's a medium, so people, and she grew up in a funeral parlour, so, you know, the big bodies come alive in the funeral parlour. I think there's that stigma that is attached and it, it wasn't like that at all. It was more a, a recognition that, our time here in the material body is is finite. We, you know, we're going back somewhere. And I, I remember Mum sort of saying uh, she used to help with the layout of the bodies and, and prepare them as well. So she'd say she'd look at she she'd just look at the body and think how did it ever you know move and talk and and it was mm-hmm. like well my Mum the soul wasn't there <laughs> you know so yeah I think it was that that sort of awakening more to that sensitivity. I love how you write about that moment when you were eight years old taking the coffee into your dad in the workshop. You write very beautifully mm. about how that was quite the turning point in your life because it might have even been one of your earliest mystical moments in a sense because you were gifted mm. with that profound understanding about life, about death and the soul. Yeah, so good. Yeah, thank and you there for was that. A, yeah, no, no, thank you. And there was a sense of the body being so still and yet the room being so alive, it, but it wasn't in the body, it was in the room. There was that kind of almost, I know this probably might sound bizarre, but a kind of a twinkling in the atmosphere or a, like a kind of softness, a veil, like a soft veil, but yet the starkness was there in the human form. But there was a, something gentle as well, like a, a presence, like as if when you walk into a church or when you really have a deeper moment, it was like that. Yeah, something sacred. Death, death, and I think mm-hmm. when we when we attend funerals and we, you know, when uh, later on when people had passed in the hospital, it suddenly that area suddenly became very sacred, as if we, 
must walk past it very softly or we don't just barge into the room to attend to the body. We, it's, it's something very, even beyond human understanding, you know, that loss. So you were there from the ages of 5 to 11, Rhonda, living in the funeral par- parlour yeah. in the country. And then your family moved back to the city in Melbourne when you were 11, but that was by no means the end of that kind of mystical awakening. No, that's right. So that was the, you know, the miracle and I, I you know, I believe to this day really it is. So my, my father and my mother had gone to a funeral in the afternoon and for a long time I actually thought it was a great auntie's funeral, but it turns out that it wasn't. So we they'd come back from the funeral and dad was we were sitting in the room where you know the tv was and there was a table and my sister was there as well so the second sister the next sister down from me and my father were all sitting in the room and dad poured a beer from a can into a glass because he'd always have a beer with a you know in a glass and it'd have a nice head to it and you know as, as he was drinking and he put the beer can down on the table and it the beer can moved into the air so it slowly moved around eight to ten inches into the air it moved across approximately six inches and then very very slowly moved down so it was uh, we were looking at each other when that was happening because it was like we were we weren't saying anything we it was just uh, absolutely incredible we were just witness uh, looking at each other as if to say, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And then it, it, you know, touched the surface of the table. And a few seconds later, it wasn't that much longer later, mum walked into the room and dad said to her, Audrey, you won't believe what's happened. A big hand just moved in the air. And she said to him, closer to you, I suppose, and we all laughed because you know that's all you that's all you could do. You knew you kind of knew. Well, if you hadn't seen it for yourself, what would you think? What would anyone think? And I've told that story quite a few times to friends, and I didn't really even even though it was a miracle, I didn't really you know it, the magnitude of it all. Kind of the magnitude of it, it even now is it's making a wave, you know. So. It, and the thing is, that struck me reading reading about it, it was that, well, first of all, it's, I mean, we can call it a case of poltergeist activity because an inanimate object is suddenly moving mm. on its own. But what's very fascinating mm. and rare, I think, the mm. three of you witnessed it. There's That's testimony and I got my sister, yeah, yeah, there's testimony and I got my sister to admit it to her son and his fiancée um, last year because I'd written the book and, and so I thought I wanted her to admit it if, you know, she was happy with that and she said to her, uh, to her son and his fiancée what had happened. But it didn't at the time feel scary at all and it was more that it was God's work. So this didn't, it wasn't like, you know, it had come out of the blue and they'd been to a a funeral that day I don't know there's no explanation really was it the person who passed in the funeral or was it an energy in the room that you know like a kinetic energy that had lifted it we knew it was something beyond this world the house was also next to a church where we lived so it was it was just miraculous I th- I know that it's very very rare but I I also th- well I hope and believe I, I wouldn't be the only one in the world that might have experienced something like that there will be someone else you know there'll be someone there'll be others that but they might not have had the journey to support 
that somehow. We do experience these miraculous moments and then we just go on with the business of living. I've certainly found that in throughout my interviews with people on the podcast and in the books. We just go on and yeah. you had a laugh and your mum cracked a funny joke. And, That's right. But I love how you wrote about it in your book. You said, and this is your quote, mm-hmm. we witnessed divine power. It changed my life forever. How could it not have? So I just wanted to mm. find out about how this 16-second episode, and that's how long, which is quite long. Yeah, it was you know, quite, yeah. Love, wanted to ask how it affected you and your developing sense of yourself as somebody who was potentially a, a psychic medium or, or what? how it affected your developing sense of what the afterlife was too. Yeah, I think initially what it gave me was a, a, how I related to people. It was more. It was more about also seeing things for what they were as well like if you when you see something like that it's it changes the way you might see everything it's it's almost like how how we can be gentle in our lives and how we can be coming from the heart how we can be judgmental or how we can be accepting of a situation and if you it's like witnessing god in a a really pure form so I, i think that's what spoke to me and Sometimes when I went through difficult periods in my life later on, I reflected back on that. I thought, yeah, I've seen, I've seen God. So because people have varying opinions on the afterlife and religion and, you know, even telling the story in more, you know, sacred circles, it's, it has an interesting reception. I think I, I knew that I was psychic as a, as a teenager after the next experience um, that was fairly profound. But I was an average girl growing up in a middle-class suburb. You know, we used to go down to Seaford and Sunbake. We used to do degrees for free. So life was pretty normal. And I was a die. I, I was, wanted to be a singer. So I was a diehard musician for quite some time. And so the mystical and the divine was just part of my experience. I didn't give it probably the sacredness until a little bit later, until I'd actually suffered and until I'd actually seen others suffer, that things got down to the ground for me. Tell us about, you referenced the next experience. Tell us about that and how <laughs> old you were when this next important thing happened. Yeah, so I checked, I had to check with my friend writing the book too. So she's alive today that is connected to this story. So I was 19 and I was working at a food chain in Melbourne and I'd finished work one night because we finished at 10, you know, we cleaned up, finished at 10. So I was driving home and very suddenly thought there's a guy in the backseat of my car and I I knew it was a guy, I could feel that it was a guy and I initially I thought I'm going to be attacked, something it's not going to be good. As I was driving I thought do I pull over or do I drive to the police station? And I thought, I, I don't know where the closest police station, like what am I doing? So my heart was pounding. I thought I'll just pull over. So I pulled over and I I, slow, I, I just thought, I'm, I, I still thought I'm going to be attacked, but I very slowly turned around and when I looked in the back seat, there was no one there. I thought maybe he's crawled up behind the driver's seat and I still can't see him. So I got out of the car and I thought I still didn't feel comfortable and I looked and there was absolutely nothing there. And I just thought that's bizarre. But I, as I was driving home, it, that's all I could think of. I didn't think why did I do that. I was just thinking 
I'm glad there's no one physically there, but I just couldn't piece it together. And it was, as I was driving, it was just, it was just ever present with me. And when I got home, mum was at the door and I walked in and I said, something's happened tonight. But she didn't really, I mean, guess what would anyone say? And the next day, my friend rang and I heard mum say, I'll get Rhonda for you. And I, I got the phone and my friend Eva said, um, dad died last night. And I said, what? What happened? She said, oh, they thought he they thought he had a heart attack and they found him in the back seat of the car. And I said, What about what time? And she said, 10:30. And so I thought, right, okay. It, it just made sense. It will, you know, it was too much of a coincidence. Back in those days, I mean, this was, you know, I'm 60 now, so I can't I can't immediately do the mass, but you might be able to do the mass, Karina. Well, it if was you a were long time ago. Thing, yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago, right? <laughs> it was a long time ago. These days you kind of got all this medium sort of, you know, it's out there in the world and the books and the shows and, you know, you've got all of that going on. But in, in when I was 19 there was nothing. It was more you'd hear the stories occasionally, you know, like a ghost story or something like that, but I pieced it together. But I didn't certainly think, oh, I've putting my hand up, look, I'm a medium, I'll, I'll do a reading for you or anything like that because I just thought it was, it reminded me of the moment, the beer can, you know, it just reminded me there's something more and I didn't actually mention it to the family until years later because I didn't think it was appropriate and I think it was a good thing that I didn't because a lot of times now later on when people lose people and, and even doing readings, it's it can be too early and the suffering is too it's one thing to be able to connect with the other side and get messages, but people want them here. You know, it's not the same as losing a child and you want that child with yeah. you here. You, you know, it's lovely you can connect on the other side, but it's it's not the same. Yeah, I was glad I didn't yeah. say, you know, and I think to have that sensitivity is really important. So this moment happened when you were 19 mm-hmm. and, as you say, it didn't, it didn't make you declare I am a medium, but certainly it reminded you of the possibilities that existed beyond the physical That's right. and what was potentially out there, yeah. yeah. And then there's a chilling incident that you write about that took place in 1992, so that's mm. fast-forwarding quite a bit. Mm. But the reason I mention it now in the mm. chronology is that when you were at a share house and you were living with your daughter and you felt mm. your grandfather's protection and something mm. quite profound happened. But mm. The reason I mention it is because you write that this was the last time that you doubted. Mm. So I wondered if you'd tell us about that and how critical this moment was to your yeah. development as a proclaimed or somebody that understood and accepted their gifts as a medium. Yeah, and I think in between that I'd... I always knew, well, because of that moment with my friend's father too, that there was something more electric going on in the universe. But music was at the forefront, just carving out a career there. And I'd had my daughter quite young and I had left her father and was in, was in a relationship with someone else. And so I actually had a little bit of training before the next incident that you talk about. I was in a share house. We are in a share household. And I was the mother. So it was, I had my sister was living with me and a friend that had separated from somebody. And the friend was leaving. And so we were looking for somebody to fill the room. And I, we got a call one night and I'm so grateful that my friend just didn't, you know, blurt out information. She gave me the phone. The guy, when I got the phone, it, 
the guy had said, oh, I'm ringing about the room. It was, it was something like that, I'm ringing about the room. Or, you know. And I can't recall his name, but what happened was I, my voice had changed, which was quite weird. I, I just, and it was in those days where you had the phone with the receiver, so it was pre-mobiles, and I just said, it's taken. Around the same time, what I had seen a vision of my grandfather. So first, sorry, firstly, I saw the vision of my grandfather. It was like he'd come into my aura and just suddenly my voice had changed and I said, it's taken. And I noticed my hand kind of was looking at my hand as it it slowly put the receiver down. So it was quite, my hand was slower than what I would normally put the receiver down as well. It was like I was completely entranced with seeing my grandfather who passed years and years and years before when I was a little girl and just saying it's taken the yeah. room is taken you told the man yeah. yeah yeah it's there yeah sorry yeah the room is taken and so that was that and then a couple of weeks later we had the de- homicide detectives ring I took the call again and and they said oh you know we're just ringing to see whether you might have had any strange calls in regards to the room that you had for let. And I said, yeah, I actually recalled that that moment. And I said, yeah, there was one one guy that I, I just, you know, I put the phone down. And he, the guy said, you're really lucky because he'd murdered three people and you had an ad in the same newspaper as he did. When I put the phone down, I just, I was just, I thought my grand, you know, someone in the spirit world has saved our lives, you know. But I, to this day, though, it was the terror and the loss of the people that did lose the, the family members is just unbelievable. It's just so much. So you, you felt their pain, did you? You felt that. You I felt think I, it was just. Well, I felt a link. You know, I felt a link. Mm-hmm. There. So I felt that it could have been us and. And I wished that it wasn't them. I just wished somehow. And I don't know, in the spirit world, I don't know whether it was my grandfather because I could see him or whether the spirit world is so clever that they would give you a vision of someone that you know. And it was very quick. So how that how they operated so quickly. Because I it, people might say, well, you know, she's got good intuition. But, you know, seeing grandpa and, and feeling something come around me, you know, within my aura, and to put the phone down so slowly, whereas normally it just go, you know, okay, look, the room's taken and da da da. It wasn't quite like that. It was really a lot more as if there was something guiding me. And I can sense sort of how emotional that must have been for you to go through that experience to be hearing from the homicide. How oh gosh, I can't even imagine oh, how it, you felt yeah. after that. Yeah. Well, it saved my life, you know, listening. And being open like that, it saved my life. It's chilling to think about it even today. In your book, you write about, you take us back to August of 2009 when a spirit told you or, mm. or the spirit told mm. you that you were receiving, you were about to receive a dream. I think they said we're giving you a dream. Mm. Yes, that was really profound. So I, I heard we're giving you a dream. The first time I heard it, you know, like we're giving you a dream, it's important, you know, you do something about it. And I I heard that clairaudiently and I said, yeah, you know, when I first heard it, I went, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then I heard it again, you know, giving you a dream, you do something about it. And it's like, okay, you know, it's getting, it's a little bit more 
you know, we want you to, to move on this. And then I heard it a third time, but it was like it, the third time I heard it, it was really, really powerful. Even today you sort of wonder, well, if I hadn't said yes, do they move on to the next recipient, like a job interview or something? But I just went with my heart, you know, I just said yes. But the dream was just I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't get back to sleep. It was it was so full on. And um, the next morning I thought I've, you know, I wrote down details of it and I just passed it over and anonymously and um, there'd be a record of that too, the name, the name that I gave, you know. To sorry, sorry. So you passed on, passed it on to the police. Yeah, I rang anonymously. Yeah, and so it was a couple of years later. I followed the case. It was a couple of years later that I that it did unfold, and and there was something there that I dreamed that was that was right. So that was interesting, and I, you know, I'm glad that I just went with my heart. I went with my gut. One of the first dreams that I had, I had. Another dream when I was first, like I did some training and I dreamt a woman's car went under the water and that was early hours of the morning that I woke up because I could hear her say, oh, God, someone help me, and there was like a light around her as well. And that day I was going to rehearse and I remember I got in my car and when I put on the radio, what I dreamt was right. A woman's car had gone under the water at Werribee Dam and there was an ambulance driver that actually saved her life. So when I'd had this other dream that night of the murder, I there's something different to a kind of psychic dream than other dreams. You feel as if it's really you. So you're taking on the emotions of it might be the recipient or the family or you're just so close. You just you feel as if you're there, hence not being able to get back to sleep. Rhonda, and so I'll just explain to the listeners that we're not going into too much detail about mm. the dreams because, you know, obviously we're trying to be sensitive to the families of the people who were murdered. So, mm. um, but there are more details in your book. At what point in your life did it dawn on you that you were indeed a medium and that you would be doing readings for people? So it was after a split in a relationship that I'd gone to see a lady and I was just, I think, very lucky. I found her in the local newspaper and because of my early experiences, I, I always thought this isn't just mumbo-jumbo, there is something. And she happened to be really talented. And when I saw her for a reading, she said, oh, there's people in the spirit world that would work with you, you know, guides. And I thought, what? As she talking about guides, like who are these guides? What what is what do you mean? You know, and then she told me things that she couldn't have possibly known. And I I recognise that she was quite gifted. This lady, and she said to me, you know, she ran like a psychic circle. And if I was interested to have a think about it, I just thought this just sounds over the top. I didn't marry being a medium with actually working in in the field or being psychic and actually reading for people because I, did, I didn't I didn't really understand it you know I'd come from a more you know musical background and it, it didn't make sense to start with so her training was great she was I was just really lucky to to be able to foster it and nurture it the other thing that I find interesting and you've mentioned a few times your passion for singing and you you are indeed you've sung for some amazing people and you've got yeah lots of an interesting body of work there 
And there are some intriguing links between, or I, I saw some links anyway, reading your book, between your passion for music, your life as a singer and your, your mediumist gifts. For instance, you once attended a concert during astral mm. travels. Another time you heard a celestial choir while yes. you were lying in bed one Sunday morning. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about those moments. Yeah, those moments were so lovely. I, uh, I had a dream one night that I felt that I was at a concert and there was a sense of it not being here. It was, there was a sense of, or maybe it was, I'm not sure, but I, was, I could see the stages. There were um, a couple of different stages and there was a horn section and then at one point I felt I'd flown outside and I was over a group of people who, and it was like interval and they were talking about the music and then all of a sudden they said, oh, we have to go back inside, you know, and I then I'd just flown back in and I think the dream ended. And another time I felt like I could just hear angels singing one, one day. I was just lying in bed and it was like I, I can hear angels. I, it was like not the sound of your hearing music within it was like someone has put a transistor radio to your ear and you can hear it. And another time that happened when I was doing um, studying art and I was, I was crossing a really busy road, I was about to, and I could hear the same type of thing. Like on this occasion it was like I could hear an orchestra and it was like as if someone had put a transistor radio to my ear. So I wonder that that wasn't my clear audience really opening up more as well. That, that's very interesting, but it's a pertinent moment, you know, for yeah. people that are out there and they're developing. And I think whether you're developing on your medium or not, it doesn't matter. It's the book is is for everyone. It's it, it's more about just the potential that we've all got to listen to our instincts, the potential we've all got to to hear more deeply than just surface hearing. That's a very profound message and uh, very mm. very important the times that we're living in as well absolutely um so yes you mentioned your clair clairaudience Rhonda so you which means that you can hear the spirit world mm. but you also see spirit and I was reading in your book about for instance one of the moments the mm. gentleman in the hat standing in the patient's bed in the hospital where you yeah. worked I was wondering mm. if you could just tell us about a few of the most memorable encounters in your life where you've seen spirit yeah well I think I was going for an interview that day an interview at the hospital to work in a clerical position and I'd walk past the room and it had a big window so I, as I as I glanced in because it's you know when you got like when you're in a hospital you don't want to kind of be nosy either just oh go and I'll look in all the windows but could see someone standing at the end of the bed and they'd had us what threw me was that they'd had us like a suit on with a hat and there was a like a veil between seeing them between me and seeing them so it wasn't the window that was the veil it was like there was a kind of veil like a a misty veil in front of them and I I just thought before I went to the interview I've just seen someone in spirit I remember they asked me at the interview sometimes patient passes does that worry you and I I sort of laughed to myself and I said no 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 I'm okay with that you know I grew up in a funeral parlor I'm, I'm okay with that but I dared not tell them really what I'd just seen so when I see it, if I'm doing platform or reading, I might see someone build up, but in my mind's eye, but this was actually more of an apparition. So that was the only time I'd seen that apparition. I've seen auras and colours around people. It's not mm. something you can obviously muster up. No, either, and you know? it's interesting that, you know, you saw him in the hospital and, you know, you went on to work as a 
as a palliative care nurse or within the palliative care mm. field. I was wondering, could you please share some of your favourite sort of mystical moments that you might have witnessed during these very sort of sacred times when someone is on the threshold of passing and, uh, and how these events impacted your life? Mm. So the one that springs to mind when you ask me is we had a woman brought in one day, you know, she was quite unwell and weren't really sure what was going on with her. And when I looked up above her bed, I could just see an enormous black cross. So I thought it's really not looking good. We'd, I'd asked if we could ring um, the daughter to come in and the daughter was able to come in and sit with the mum and, and be with her. And um, they didn't think she was going to pass, but she did pass not long afterwards. So I don't, you know, it's it's a funny, it's, there's a fine line with that. And I think probably a lot of the nurses out there are very in tune with that. A lot of times I can tell when someone's going to go, you know, that, you know, you'll know it's that last um, mm. shot of morphine. or So there's a lot of that sensitivity in that area as well. It was, I really, I wasn't really trying to incorporate anything with my medium psychic side in the hospital. If it, if it was something like that that happened, I would acknowledge it, but I'd be more focused on the nursing side at the time. So the story in the book that speaks of that, it was lovely. The daughter was quite spiritual herself. So she'd had a dream and she acted on that. And I think it was it was lovely because she could be with her mum when she passed over yeah. and that that's a real gift. So, yeah, I'd seen a, an aura around a, a young girl that wasn't well as well. She'd had cancer and um, because of the fine line of the work and the medium, so you have to draw that line on, in a professional way and just remain professional. You know, it's unprofessional to just, you know, going into a reading. Do you believe, Rhonda, that gifts like yours are innate to all of us but it's just that some of us are more naturally inclined? I think that sounds perfect, you know. I think that is mm. exactly the way. And I think maybe for the ones that I like to think, well, there's a responsibility for the medium to be really honest and just tell it like it is and then people can glean from that and they can learn. So because when you look at, you know, people like Tony Stockwell, Mavis Patella and, you know, Lisa Williams and they do a lot of work out there in the communities and they've got it out there. So it, it can be scary too because, you know, there's always that fear of rebuttal and, you know, I've had the sort of sceptics and, you know, I've had a brush with that. But it doesn't really faze me. I, love always will set the tone. So, and, and I'm still learning. I think the world, we're all still learning. I mean, even what's happening lately with covid how we're all so connected that it's incredible so yeah I think it's everyone's got the potential absolutely we're we're all made from the same fabric we all have a finite time that we're here for and then we return to where you know the other side and whatever that is composed of mm. so it's taught me to just it's taught me to be really gentle you know I'm very humbled by the book I I you know I'm not don't want to be showy about it. I, the quiet achiever, I like that sort of um, the essence of that. Yeah, I think we've all got the potential, absolutely. And children tend to be very open. I think children tend to be very to be very in tune from the mouth of babes. Rhonda, what is life like for you today? So life is beautiful for me today. We've just had a new. I've just had a granddaughter and. Um, I've got a grandson, and they are the jewels of my life. And my focus, my focus has always been 
being a mum, I think, you know, no matter what's happened. Even, you know, if I had a choice, would you give everything away, all the gifts, all your intuition for your daughter? I wouldn't even think twice. I'd just go, yeah, okay. My life today is about finding the right meals to help my daughter <laughs> get through her babies and, and her kids and um, yeah. hanging out with my grandson and loving nature and there's so much more to learn and getting through this COVID-19 and I, I have a lot of friends that are nursing and I just, you know, my heart is with them and that they're, that they're all protected and that people are doing the right thing and, you know, we, we look after each other. You know, we'll be blessed for it. I think when we do the right thing, you know, karma and the universe has a has a funny way of 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 gifting us, you know, in things that we might not expect. Mm-hmm. And it's not even about rewards. I mean it more from just when the heart I think I've wrote in the book, when the heart's in the right place, you'll see everything that you need to see. Exactly. And yeah, and those gifts that come in the darker moments as well, in the dark times. Rhonda, yeah. how can listeners find out more about you and how can they buy your book so my website is rondarobertson.com the book will be out may the 11th so it'll be on amazon booktopia qbd books angus and robertson so far so that's how they can find it to sum up Rhonda, i'm going to ask you the question that i ask all of my guests on the ghost files and that is what can an encounter with the dead teach us about living we are the miracle that, that we are the miracle, that God is just as much here as as over there. I think that's what I've learnt, that I had a cousin that passed and a minister at the funeral said, death is like boarding a ship, leaving one continent with those that you really love, only to be met by others that are waiting for you on another continent. And I think as that, that message has really resounded, those that I really love here right now, they are my heaven. That's what I'll leave. Thank you so much. That is an absolutely beautiful message to leave us with, the miracle no of life and our loved ones being our heaven. That's, that's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for coming thank on you. the Ghost Files, Rhonda. Oh, thank you so much, Karina. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Ghost Files. If you love the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review and tell a friend.